We are in a sermon series right now called Sit, Walk, Stand, and it is all about, what? Bobby's interrupting me and I just started. (laughs) It's all about the book of Ephesians. Uh, If you were to boil down the book of Ephesians in three words, it would be sit, walk, stand. And so I want to bring you up to speed real quick on last week. If you missed it, I would encourage you to go check out one of the two sermons uh, that are up online because it's always nice to be kind of in in pace with what we're doing as a church. But uh, sit, walk, stand. So uh, last week we covered this concept of sitting, sitting, sitting. It's this idea that God has put us primarily in a place, in a position, in his presence, has to do with relationship, has to do with grace. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 that we've, we've been given a seat uh, next to God. It says a number of different things that we covered last week about all the different things that God has already done for us. You see, the reality that you and I found ourselves in is that we were in a place of death, really, is the way that it describes it. This place of separation, this place of of death because of our trespasses and our sins. I know that's kind of hard to hear, but it's a reality in that we we were down in the dumps. And God, it says that he raised us up and he seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. It's as if he's going on this journey with us saying that the reality of our situation is just as much in the heavenly places as it is in the earthly places. That the reality of where you are is just as much with God in the heavenly realities and you are walking with him here on this earth. But it has to start with sitting. You see, it says, by grace we have been saved. Grace is unmerited favor. It's something that God gives us even when we don't deserve it. It's a position with him. It's an identity with him. It's love from him. It's relationship with him. It's a place of sitting. Sitting. Resting. Sometimes it's good just to sit. You know, I've been working all day. Sometimes Jess comes home. She says, I literally haven't had time. Can I say this? I haven't had time to pee, babe. Can I say that? Like, I didn't eat. I didn't eat. I didn't even go to the bathroom. I just need to sit. And you know what? That place of rest is where God wants us to start. In fact, it's the place we have to start. He doesn't just want us to. It's the place we have to start if we're going to go anywhere. But the writer of this letter, the book of Ephesians, he goes on to to say that if you're going to sit, the next thing that you're naturally going to do is going to be to walk. And so I want to read a few passages uh, for you just as we jump in. I'm going to read, if if you have your Bible with you, out of Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, and then Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Just a few passages, and then I'm going to highlight for you a number of things that the writer Uh, goes about writing about. So this is what it says. We're going to pick up kind of where I left off last week. And uh, this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Again, grace is that unmerited favor from God. It's, it's his goodness towards you. It's his love towards you. It's, it's everything that he's given to you already, not based on your works at all, not based on your sin or your lack of sin or your righteousness or anything that you were able to accomplish on your own ability, on your own will, on your own strength. It's grace. It's all because of him and it's free of charge. And the way that we receive that is through faith. For it's by grace that we have been saved through faith, and this is not your doing. It was a gift 
of God, not as a result of works, not as a result of your works and what you've done. The reason for that is so that none of us will boast about it. And it goes on to say this, for we are God's workmanship. I think the original word there is his canvas, his piece of art that he's, he's masterfully, masterfully painting in our lives. We are his canvas, we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. For by grace you've been saved to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, sit, walk, walk, which God prepared before and that we should walk in them. One more verse, uh, chapter four, verse one, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I urge you to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Let's pray together and then uh, see what the Holy Spirit will do with us tonight. Lord, thank you again uh, for so many people here this evening and, and for your presence. We thank you that you, just like Bobby was saying, you still are on the throne, you're still victorious, that you rule and reign in the heavenly places and here on earth and everywhere. We thank you, God, that you are here in our midst right now, for we have gathered in your name, expectant to hear from you, God. Would you open your word to us? Holy Spirit, would you speak to us, each of us individually and together as a faith community that we might come alive in your truth and that we might leave this place ready to walk out everything that you've called us to. We commit to you ourselves in this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know how um, you can sometimes tell a little bit about people by how they walk? I I've had friends that tell me, uh, <laughs> I walk into a place, you know, Usually, this is what people tell me when I walk into public places, like a coffee shop or church, and I don't, I don't know, I don't see this, but I walk in and I'm always like, oh, hey, oh, hey. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like always looking around for like, what's the scene and who, you know, who's all here and who can I say hi to? And, and uh, there's just different ways that people walk. You know, somebody might, might be walking like this. And it says something about them. You know, it just how you walk says something about what you think and believe about yourself. You know, and there's other people like uh, if you were here earlier today, Jo said, "Hey, you know what this walk is? Raiders fans." <laughs> I said, "Jo, that's good." He called me. He goes, "Was that okay? Was that okay?" I said, "Absolutely, that was okay. That was phenomenal." There's, you know, there's other people who walk like this. They open the door. And they got to, like, turn to the side to get through it. You know what I'm saying? Because they're so strong. <laughs> I'm not talking about anybody in the room. <laughs> but you, <laughs> you could tell some things about people. <laughs> Smalls? <laughs> Call me Smalls? He's like, you're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> you could tell things about people. And what they think and what they believe in particular about who they are by how they walk. The reality is that nobody 
just stays sitting in any place forever. We walk, we go, we do, we, we live out whatever it is that we believe. The ideologies in our head, the things that we believe about the world and about ourselves, we live those out one way or another. There's no getting around it. There is action in this world. It's just a matter of how that action is gonna look, what's it gonna be composed of, how are you gonna walk out whatever it is that you either have in your heart or whatever it is that God has either done or not done in your being. And so what I'd like to do, just because we simply don't have time, is I want to take you on a a brief journey. Uh, If you were to go and read this book, the book of Ephesians, you would would see with me that the the beginning, really through chapter 1 and into chapter 2, he goes to great lengths to describe all of the things that God has already done for us. We talked about it last week. It's like 20 different things that God has already done for us to seat us, to sit us, to place us in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. He says it's already been done. God's lavished his love on you. He's raised you from the dead. He's seated you with Christ. He's blessed you. He's done all these things for you already, and it's all by his grace that he has sat you in his presence. He's put you in this place of relationship, but then it goes on to say this. He, he, he begins to start talking about walking and what that means and what it looks like to walk this thing out, and six times in these chapters, six times he uses this word, this commandment to walk, and I'm going to briefly, just in a few breaths, run down for you all of the things that he tells you to walk in and all the things that he tells you not to walk in. And here you go. This is what they are. These are all the things that the book of Ephesians says that you ought to walk in or you ought to do. It says walk in a way worthy of God. It says walk in humility and gentleness. Walk with patience. Walk bearing in love. Walk eager to maintain unity. Do the work of the ministry. Obtain unity. Walk in a way to work to the measure of the fullness of Christ. Speak the truth in love. Grow up. Put on the old self. Put off the old self. Be renewed in the spirit of the mind. Put on the new self, put away falsehood, do honest work, share with those in need, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, imitate God, walk in love, let there be thanksgiving among you, walk as children of the light, discern what is pleasing to the Lord, walk as a wise person and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, those are just the things you're supposed to do. Here's the things we're not supposed to do. Don't be tossed to and fro. Don't walk in deceitful schemes. Don't be futile in your mind. Don't be darkened in understanding. Don't be ignorant. Don't be hardened in heart. Don't be callous. Don't be given to sensuality. Don't practice impurity. Don't walk in deceitful desires. Let no anger make you sin. Let no sun go down on your anger. Do not steal. Do not have corrupt talk among you. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not walk in bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, or malice. Do not walk in sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness. Do not let your talk be filthy, foolish, foolish, crude. Do not walk in darkness. Do not take part in unfruitful works of darkness. Do not walk as unwise. Do not be foolish and do not get drunk on wine. And here's the thing. In a few pages, he just gave us like 50 things to do. In the entire Old Testament, God only gave us 613 commandments, and Paul just gave us 50 in two pages. And I think that some of you, maybe all of you, struggle in the same way that I do with this. Well, is it grace or is it works? And we have a hard time differentiating this dichotomy that we feel 
Because, preacher, I thought that you just told us for a whole long sermon last week that it's all about grace. It's all about what God has already done. And you, you tell us you don't have to do anything. You don't have to work for it. You can't work for it. It's all about God's love and what he's done for you. And he's, he's seated you with him. And he's already done it. He's already done it. He's already done it. Just be. Just rest. You know what? Come to church just as you are. And we love that place. But then, like the next week after the preacher says, come to church just as you are. We feel this like, yeah, but then do this and do this and do this and don't do this and don't. And we just, we don't know how to, what is the balance? Is it grace or is it works? Is it sitting with Christ or is it walking it out? Is it God's already done it all for you, you don't have to do anything? Or is it the 50 things that he just told you to do? Yeah. Yeah. Does it ever feel to you like, you know, when you're on vacation and you and your, you know, you and your person that you're on vacation with or your wife, husband, you're walking through the lobby and somebody says, hey, do you guys want to have a free breakfast? Absolutely free. Just a free, honey, the Lord has shown upon us. Absolutely we'll take a free breakfast. And then like eight hours later, you realize they're trying to sell you a timeshare. It's like, oh, bait and switch. (laughs) Does it ever feel like that, like in the faith? Like it's like, it's just grace, like don't do anything. And then all of a sudden it's 50 commandments. Two chapters later. And it feels like a bait and switch. The beautiful thing is, it's not. Because when the spirit of God truly gets inside of you, When you really are sitting with God, everything changes. Everything changes. So I want to just, I want to point out simply tonight three three simple thoughts for us to to sort of approach this idea. Because I think, I, I just think that this is really the question for the evening. Is it grace or is it works? And how do those things balance together? So if we can together approach that concept with these three simple thoughts. Here's the first one. Not either or, but order. Not either or, but order. You see, the, the correlation between grace and works is not an either or question. It's an order question. It's not either I sit with, with God in his presence. It's not either I have relationship with him or I do works. It's not either or, it's order. Because here's the thing, this is why it's sit, walk, stand. We have to be seated with God first. We have to be seated with God first. If you try and walk and run and work and do all those things without the sitting, without the relationship, without the grace, you're going to burn up. If you're trying to accomplish and do and affect the world and bring change and all of that without, without receiving what you need to receive by sitting in relationship in the presence of God, you're going to burn up. Secondly, if you yourself are trying to work in order to get to the seat, that's called empty religion. You can never work your way to God. It's not, you can't work to God. The reality is that God has already given us a seat with him. And so there's a response from that. You see, in Ephesians 2, it says that you were created in Christ Jesus. And in Ephesians 4, it says you were called to walk worthy. The creation comes first and the calling comes second. 
You have to be created in God. This is something that you don't do. He does this. He creates us. He gives us our position with him. It's a place of identity. It's a place of relationship. And then he calls us to get up from there. Okay, so order is extremely important in the kingdom. When we get things out of order, everything gets messed up. See, and this isn't all, by the way, this is just in many areas of life. Like, take money, for example. Money is not evil. Money is not bad. Money is not wrong. It's when we get, when we put money out of order. That is to say, when we put money in our heart, in our pursuit, in our desire, when we put it in a place that it doesn't belong, it becomes evil in our world. But when we put everything, whether it's money or relationships or sexuality, any of those things in proper order, God at the top being the king and everything in its right order, then this world operates the way that God designed it. And the the design for you and I is that we would sit first, that we would rest in who we were created to be, and then that we would get up and walk out our calling. It's not either or, it's order. It's not either you have grace or you have works. It's that you must receive grace first, and then your works have to be an outflow of the grace that you've already received. Number two, for whose sake? For whose sake do we walk? For whose sake? would we do these 50 things? For whose sake would we do anything for God? For whose sake would we desire to follow the commandments of God? Number one, it's for his sake. It's for God's sake. When we get up out of the place, out of the position where he's changed us, and we, and we walk it out, we walk our faith out, we start actually doing what it is that he's asked us to do, it's all for him. He's number one. You know, it, we, this, this verse was actually, in a sense, prophesied over our church at the beginning of the year, almost a year ago, found in Matthew. You probably have heard this before. The scripture said, Jesus says this, let your light shine, let your light shine, let your good works be seen by people. Why? So that they might see your good works and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. So our works are not for us. Our works are not so we will be seen. Again, out of order. The world says you should live like Hollywood. The world says you should get, try and be seen by everybody. And what the kingdom says is that if you're going to be seen at all, it better be them seeing Jesus in you. There's nothing wrong with good works. But you can always tell whether the person, the human being, is getting the glory or whether God is getting the glory of, of, you know, the fruit of the good works. So when we work, it's for his glory, not for our glory. Number two, it's for others. When we get up out of our seat and we walk out this life that he's called us to, it's for other people. The Bible says that you and I are ambassadors for Christ. That is to say that we represent him. You know, if one of our ambassadors goes to a foreign country and says something and says, this is what Donald Trump says, it's it's the same as if the president said it. Have you ever really considered what that means that God would allow us to represent him in that way? 
It's amazing. You know, a member of our church, Andy Clark, you may have heard this before. He said, he said, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You catch that? I think it's true. He said, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. That is to say, this is the place of, this is the place of talking. Oh, Lord, thank you for everything that you've done for me. You're so good. You have blessed me. You have given to me. You have restored me. You have healed me. You have loved me. But then when we get up and we walk it out at work and, we, and, and our actions are like everything opposite to what we were doing in church on Sunday, and you know what I'm saying. When our, when our walk doesn't match our talk, when our, when our actions don't line up with our words, we're not being a good ambassador for God. It's not, it's not a real representation of what it is that God has done in us. And the way that you're going to be able to represent God in your walk is when you sit with Christ. Again, you have to sit first and walk second, but when we try and walk on our own for our own glory, for our own purposes, for our own gain, then we're not going to represent him well. We're not going to give him the glory, and everything's going to get twisted. We have a job on this earth, and it's, it's not to build our own kingdom. It's to build his kingdom. I just, I just want to challenge you when you consider your behavior it's not just a matter of between you and God. I know like many people in our, in our culture, in our society, you know, you meet somebody and they might say, hey, don't talk to me about politics or religion, that's personal. That's personal. I don't know about your politics, but your religion is never just personal. Just so you know. They know you go to Heart of the City Church. They know you got that Jesus fish sticker on the back of your window. They heard you were a Christian. They saw it on Facebook. And so you represent him. For whose sake? It's for his sake. It's for their sake. But you know what? Walking it out, obedience is actually for your sake also. It's amazing, it's amazing. This is what it says in Deuteronomy. Even in the beginning when God was commanding his people, he says this in Deuteronomy 5. He says, you shall not walk, or you shall walk in all of the way that the Lord has commanded you to live. You shall walk in all of the way that the Lord has commanded you to live, that it might go well with you, and that you might live long in the land, and you shall possess it. I don't know about you, but growing up, you know, I was forced to go to church twice a week, every week, my whole life. Couldn't stay the night at my friend's house on Saturday nights because we had to go to church in the morning. Ugh. Any other church rats in the house? <laughs> Mom, really? Come on, just once. No, son, we got church. <sighs> Whatever. So, anyway. So I was going to church, and, and my impression of God was that he was this cosmic killjoy. He was this God in the sky that just wanted to ruin all my fun. All the things that I wanted to do, if I wanted to follow him, I wasn't going to get to do good things. I wasn't going to do fun things. If I, I was either a choice between a good life or following God, but I couldn't have both. 
Such a twisted mindset because the reality is that God came to bring life and life abundant, a better life than you could ever have chasing anything else that you'd ever chase. What we don't realize is that when we walk in his ways and we follow all of his commandments, we end up getting what we always wanted all along. Let me illustrate it like this. We were, I was recently talking to somebody who they, uh, in a, a beautiful moment of uh, personal confession, they said, you know what? It's true. I tell a lot of lies about myself. I tell a lot of lies about myself because I want to cover the things that I dislike about me so people will like me. And it was this amazing moment where we got to encourage this person and say, you know what? This is such a beautiful thing that God is doing in you because what it is that you thought you were accomplishing by covering yourself has actually been working against you. And now that you've come to a place of realization that if you would just be honest with people, that would actually accomplish for you what you wanted all along and you never knew it. You see, he thought that when he told lies about himself that people would think he was cooler and that they would like him more, but people could see right through his deception and it made them push him away way. So what he was working for, relationship and love and affection and acceptance, was the very thing that he wasn't getting because of his actions in the moment. And what we told him is, when you start to be transparent with people and honest and say, hey man, this is just who I am, it's actually going to draw people close to you and it's going to give you what you always wanted all along. It's the same in our faith. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, it would seem to me that our Lord considers our passions, our pursuits, not to be too strong, but too weak. For we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with silly things like drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy awaits us. We are like children, content making mud pies in the slums, when there is a holiday at sea awaiting for us. It's like the things that we pursue the things that, that we are trying to get, fulfillment and joy and purpose, just think about it. Anything that you would chase after in this world, is there any part inside of you that thinks that if you do it God's way, that means you won't get fulfillment? Because I believe that when we walk in all that God has asked us to do, and when we choose obedience, even in the things that are difficult for us, even in the things that our flesh tells us we want, when we choose to do it his way, we find ultimate fulfillment instead of temporary happiness. Ultimate fulfillment. And so I wanna encourage you, the choice to walk is also for you. It's for him first, it's for them second, and it's for you. Number three, there will be results. There will be results. I don't know if you caught it or not, but in, in Ephesians 4, verse 1, it says, I urge you to walk in a way worthy of the calling. That's a challenging word. Worthy, isn't it? I think many of us have felt unworthy over the years. We've been told we were unworthy of many things. Told that we didn't look good enough, smell good enough, act good enough. We weren't smart enough. We, we just, we weren't worthy of that position. We weren't worthy of that person. We weren't worthy of getting the promotion. We weren't worthy of whatever. And so we struggle with this concept of worthiness. And this is exactly what, what 
plays into this, this concept of do I need to work towards God? Do I need to do good things in order to get to God? Uh, we hear people all the time, those of us that work here, it's crazy. People say, I can't, you know, we invite them to church. I can't come to church. I'll catch on fire. It's like, what? Who told you that? Who, who told you that you need to work yourself into the kingdom? You need to be good enough in order to come to God. No, you come to God how you are. He seats you with him. But the beautiful thing is that there are results from that. The results, let me put it to you like this. It, it actually lines it out for us. In Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says, For it's by grace that you've been saved. It's by grace that you've been seated with God. It's by grace that God has put you in your position, not as a result of your works. Not as a result. This is important to catch. There are results, but it's, it's not based on what you do to get to God. It's just everything that happens after you sit with God. It's not a result of your works. God has seated you with him not as a result of anything that you have done. It's a free gift. You can have this seat with God, this seat of relationship, this seat of healing, this seat of identity, this seat of purpose, this seat of destiny. You can have this seat not as a result of anything that you have done. But, there will always be results from what God has done. You see, we don't get grace because of the results of what we've done, but we will always desire to walk out because of what he's done. We've been created in Christ Jesus and called to walk it out. He seated us with him so that we can get up and serve. He's made us alive in him so we can get up and make other people alive. He's healed us so then we can become the healer. He's given to us so that we can get up and give. You, you understand what I'm saying? He's done it all for us, and that will result in something in us. Let me put it to you like this. If you've ever been uh, injured... I sometimes throw my back out, and if you've ever felt that before, like, and your back just tightens up like this, and you just like, you cannot move, you know, all you want to do is just find that, find that place to sit, take the load off. Maybe you've broken your leg. Maybe you've injured yourself in a great way, and in some sense or the other, the doctor has seated you in a place of healing, and that first day, you're like, thank you. You just, you, you wouldn't even comprehend getting up and walking or running or playing basketball or anything. Like, I hobble off the basketball court and I'm like, I just need to sit and lay. We do this in our spirit and it's good. We come to the altar, we come to a place of, of brokenness. Our spiritual back is tightened. Our spiritual leg is broken. Everything about us is just on its last leg. And the, the heavenly doctor picks us up, our broken body, and he seats us in this, this medical chair of healing. But if that's ever happened to you, month goes by, two months goes by, you know, and you're an athlete like me, and you're like, I just want to... I mean, I know my leg's still broken, but I just want to get going. 
You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you're still injured, but, but it's not like it used to be because healing heals, because recovery starts, and you're just like, you're still, you're, you still got the big old boot on your leg, but there's something in you that's saying, like, I want to I wanna do this thing, you know? Like, like, and you start doing stupid stuff like that to re-injure yourself because you're like me and Josh, and we just want to do crazy things. But there's something, you, you know what I'm saying? When the healing starts happening, you actually desire to get up and do something. You start spinning the, the basketball on your finger and you start saying, man, I wonder if I could just, you know, I could probably run a little bit. Like, it's okay, but I, I mean, I'll just, you know, let's tighten it up real tight and I could probably just do this thing. Like, there's something that happens in you when the healing starts occurring. You want to get up out, you want to walk, you want, to, here's the thing. Look, listen, if you are struggling in life to want to walk out and to obey God and to, to, to serve people, if you're struggling to want to give, it's because you haven't sat. This is how I know it. Because when you've truly sat in the place of healing, oh, you don't want to stay down. You want to get up. You want to serve. You want to give your money. You want to pour out your life in service. You want to obey God. I had a girlfriend once ask me this. She said, hey, Craig, will you please not watch pornography? That would be very dishonoring to me. And I said, you know what? I appreciate you asked me that. But just so you know, I would never watch pornography, not because of you, but because of God. Even if you weren't in the picture, I wouldn't do it anyway because of him. Because that's my desire. Because when he changed my life, I knew that I wanted to walk away from that thing. When he heals you, when you're seated in a place of relationship with him, you desire to walk it out. You want to. I feel like sometimes in church we're like, we're trying to beg people to serve. It's, it's like, you know what? It's okay. Before you serve, it's clear you need to sit. Because if you were sitting, you would want to be serving. If you're really, truly in a place of sitting in relationship with God, he's pouring his identity in you. He's, he's healing you. You want to ask the doctor to cut that thing off. You want to get up and go. It's natural. Because healing results in desire for action, always. When the Spirit of God has filled you, the result is you want to honor him. It's no longer this place of, I guess, God, I mean, I, okay, if, if I have to do this, that, or there, that commandment, no, but even the things that hurt your flesh, you, you want to do because God is good. Because the greater work has been done inside of you, you are more, you're, you're actually desirous of walking it out for him. There's something that happens inside of you. And so I just, I, I simply want to leave you kind of with that, that thought, that, that prompting in you to, to examine your own heart, examine your own life. Is there, is there a desire in my spirit to walk? Is there a desire in my spirit to obey? Is there a desire in my spirit to be humble and gentle? Is there a desire in my spirit, an eagerness to maintain unity with people? 
Is there a desire for me to grow up? Is there a desire to put off the old self? Is there a desire for the Holy Spirit to renew my mind? Is there a desire to put away falsehood and deceit and lies and stealing? Is there a desire, a desperate desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit? All of these things that he tells us to walk in and don't walk in, without the sitting, it's legalism. But with the sitting, it's life. It's no longer a bunch of list of commandments to, okay, here we go, give me the list, you know, and it just takes the joy out of everything. It's, friends, it's grace first. It's relationship first. And then it's response. It's receive, respond. It's he gives, and then you desire to give. It's he serves you, and then you desire to serve others. It's a natural response. So again, I just want to ask you, as, as you leave this place, if you would consider, is there something in me that desires to walk this thing out? And if not, would you consider, is it maybe because I have not yet allowed myself to be put, seated in a place of true surrender with Christ? Have I not given my life really fully over to him, allowed my relationship with him to change me from the inside out and allowed that changing inside to work itself out outside.